Pastor Chris is, is uh, not here today, and we had a little scheduling mix-up, so uh, you get a double dose for me today. Uh, yeah, oh, thanks. We are going to continue our study, though, of 1 Corinthians, uh, addressing address the mess. Right? This whole book is, uh, this one and, and the next letter are both letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that he helped start, helped plant. And a little while after he started it, he started getting reports about there was a mess, there were troubles, there were uh, mix-ups and tension and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, he's been dealing uh, the last chapter or so, last couple chapters, with these ideas that divided the church at Corinth. And specifically, uh, lately, he's been talking about can, could a Christian in that city, in that culture, eat meat that had previously been uh, offered at a pagan altar? Because this was the common way that you could get meat. They would sacrifice an animal to uh, some pagan god, and then the meat would be sold cheaper. And so could Christians eat that meat or or not? Um, we have a similar division in the, the Western church today over things like uh, can a Christian going to drink wine or, or do they need to abstain completely? And, you know, one side will be like, well, you need to be uh, more mature and quit being a big baby about it. And the other side is like, you're going to hell. And, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big uh, to-do. Uh, but Paul says, basically, that Idols are nothing compared to our God. Uh, and we have liberty to eat anything. Right? But, this is a big but, there's always a big but. Just because you can you can do something doesn't mean you should. Uh, and so if my liberty causes another Christian to stumble, uh, if I'm mature as I think and say I am, then I should maybe abstain from the thing that I have liberty to do. Anyway. And so in chapter 9, he used himself as an illustration. Um, he talked about, you know, he had the right to financial support. Uh, every other place he had gone, uh, all the other apostles were supported financially by the church. But, but he didn't uh, take support when he was in Corinth because he knew it would hinder the spread of the gospel there. He didn't want people to think he came to town to fleece them of their money. So he worked a job and did his thing. Um, even though he had the right, he chose to forgo his right. Uh, and he says, you know, so basically you have the right to eat meat, but love is more important than your right. And all of us independent thinking Americans can maybe be reminded of that sometimes. Right? We have rights. Sometimes love is more important than your rights. But anyway. So now he's going to use a different um, illustration, right? He used himself. Now he's going to talk about the nation of Israel and how they were given liberty. They were set free from bondage, and they abused it. They weren't. They didn't take it uh, as important as it should have been. I was reminded as I was studying this of uh, this week at my house. We've had. Uh, bunch of, dish, you know, and we've got a dishwasher that's going bad, and, you know, there's a cat that keeps peeing by my back door and all this stuff. It's not my cat, and, you know, all this stuff that goes along with owning a home, and I'm like, man, I miss not owning a home. Matter of fact, I, uh, I miss living with my mom. When 
all of my money to go to like buying speakers for my Mustang and the new Dr. Dre CD. You know, like I, I had less to worry about. I missed that. I took that liberty, that freedom, uh, for granted. I was unaware of how it affected uh, myself and others around me. And so he's going to talk about how Israel uh, took for granted some things that the Lord had done for them. Anyway, let's, before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. Lord, we thank you this morning for giving us another opportunity to study your word, that we get to fellowship and worship, all those cool Christianese words, but we get to be together and hear your word and have free and easy access to it. We know you're moving all over the world, people's hearts are being changed, and we just pray that that happens here today, too. that our hearts will be open, that our spirits will be willing to be changed by your word. Pray these things Jesus. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, or your Bible may say ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Because I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant. This is a term Paul uses uh, like five or six times in the New Testament. And every time, he's bringing up something important, right? I don't... Of all the things I'm teaching you, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. This is important. Right? And so, like in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of when it comes to death, what happens to a believer, right? so that you don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Right? That's an important thing as a Christian. You should understand what happens when you die, as best as we can explain. He also talks about how, you know, the, I don't want you to be unaware about the things that have to do with the second coming of Christ in the last days. I don't want you to be unaware uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about God's heart for Israel. He talks about that in Romans 11. I, think. I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant when it comes to Satan's plans and strategies. And so th that means what he's saying next is a big deal. Right? This is one of the things I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to be ignorant of the history of how God has dealt with His people. How God has worked in and through Israel. is a picture of how He wants to work in and through us. And so he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You know, the journey from Egypt to Israel uh, shouldn't take that long. I'm a little, I'm a little hot back there now. Um, it's about a seven-day journey on foot. Uh, now, there, remember, there's two million people plus some livestock and stuff, so let's give them a little credit. Maybe it's a month. How long did it take the Israelites to get into the promised land from Egypt? Forty years. If they'd done it God's way, a month. Doing it their own way, 40 years. How many things uh, would have gone better in your life had you not had your own way? Yeah, there's a few things I can think of for myself. If they'd done it God's way, things would have been totally different. But he says, look, I don't want you to be unaware. When they were out in the wilderness, uh, they were all under this cloud. They were under this cloud which the Lord provided. Right? They were led by day, a pillar of cloud, by night, a pillar of fire. 
And uh, the Psalms tell us that this cloud spread out over the whole camp and gave them shade. Remember, they're in the desert. Having cloud cover in the desert is kind of a big deal, right? This is how they didn't just burn to a crisp, how they were able to keep their livestock alive, how they were able to survive the whole thing. And when God wanted his people to move, he moved the cloud. And they went, let's stay where the shade is, right? And they walked with the cloud. They had, so they had this pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, this constant reminder of God's presence, that God was providing for them, God was leading them. Verse 2, it says, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were baptized into Moses. They were they all followed Moses. They were all aligned with Moses, is what he's saying. Right? Uh, this is when they, um, in the cloud and the sea, they passed through the water, the Red Sea. Uh, you know, they crossed on dry land. You guys have seen the movie, right? Um, and this was an inward, a, an outward sign of an inward reality. Before they ever walked across the Red Sea, they had to take a, a moment and choose, do I believe this is my deliverance or not? Am I going to follow this or not? And so they did this. They had an inward reality, and then there was an outward sign. So if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's your next step. Right? It's to be baptized as an outward sign of an inward change. That's what that's all about. And we would love to help you with that. Uh, Eric would be happy to talk to you at Rikers at the service. Anyway, he says, that, so they were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea, verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food. What was the food they ate in the wilderness? Manna. Do you know what that word means? It means, what is it? So like the first time God fed them with the bread out of heaven, they went, what is this? And they were like, yeah, let's call it that. <laughs> there was an interesting thing. It, it tasted, it says uh, when it was raw, it tasted like wafers and honey. That is, it sounds good. Uh, but they were able to make different things out of it. They could grind it and make, make a, like a flour or a cake out of it. Um, and they probably made like manicotti and manastroni and mana nut muffins. Those are dumb pieces of joke. Um, point is, they, they God fed them with bread out of heaven. Their daily bread. He gave them their daily bread. Verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So if you're familiar with the story, there's a, there's a moment where they, you know, they ran out of water, they're in the desert, and God talks to Moses, and he has Moses smoke this rock with his staff, and, and water is gushed out, enough water to take care of the whole camp. And later, uh, they get there, they move a little bit, and God tells them again, uh, he says, this time I want you to just speak to the rock, but Moses is kind of aggravated, and he hits it out of anger, and God's not pleased with that, because God's, you know, for one, he says, I don't always follow the same formula, I don't always work the same, um, and also, you've misrepresented me to my people in your anger. Now, how many times have Christians misrepresented God to the world with our anger? I misrepresent Jesus every time I go through the Wendy's drive-thru. 
I basically need to go in disguise because I know they're going to mess it up. I think they have a poster of me. And they're like, do not get this guy's order right. But anyway, so we he, Moses misrepresented the Lord, and, and he paid for that. That's another story. But Paul says uh, they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. There's a few ways to look at this. There was, there was a Jewish tradition or legend, however you want to look at it, uh, that, the, that this rock literally would appear, the same rock would appear every time they set up camp. Could be. That's not what the, you know, the Bible never clearly says that. Uh, another tradition was that when Moses, you know, smote the rock, the water kind of flowed out through aquifers or whatever and basically provided water wherever God led them. And that could be that. The point of this is this, right? That manna and this living water were both a picture of Christ. That, God, that Christ was providing for them. Jesus addressed it in John 6, verse 32. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Because I am the one that can satisfy your soul. I see to all your needs. I'm with you. And so Israel, they had the presence of God in very visible ways. Right? And sometimes we look at how things worked with Israel and we're like, man, how did they mess up so bad when they had like, all these amazing signs and, you know, pillars of cloud and fire and all of that. And I'm like, yeah, how do we mess up when we have, like, written instructions on how to live life? The blessings of his provision in their lives was, was something that they took for granted and, and something we do too. So they have these blessings and this newfound liberty, right? They were literally slaves who've been set free. And so what do they do with it? That's the big question. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, nevertheless, right? Even though God gave them food, he gave them water, he gave them like physical, literal directions where to go. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So of the roughly two million people who left Egypt, two survived to go into the promised land. Now, there were more people, but they were the kids of those who had left originally. Joshua and Caleb lived to enter into the promised land 40 years later. And there's a reason for that. Caleb and Joshua had faith. If you, re if you want to take notes or study this on your own, in Numbers 13, Moses sends 12 spies into the Promised Land. They've gotten right to the border, and they're like, hey, before we enter, I'm leading 2 million people. i got to make sure I'm not leading them into a slaughter or whatever. So send some spies into the land. And when they come back, 10 of the 12 spies well, all of the 12 spies say it is the promised land. It's, full of, it's the land of milk and honey. Right? They come back with like samples of all the fruit that grows there. And it's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful place. Just what God said. But 10 of the 12 say, 
Yeah, it's all the things that God said, but, big but, the cities there are fortified. They have uh, their own military. Uh, they have, uh, the Anakim are there. These were people that were giants, right? They were larger than normal people. The Anakim and the Emim and all that, um, they were just larger people. Because, you know, there's giants over there. We're like grasshoppers in this site. Bad news. And Caleb and Joshua say, yeah, they're really big. That makes them easier targets. Right? God said we could take it. Let's take it. Our God's bigger than anything that we might face over there. But Israel went with the ten spies who had uh, gave them a message of fear. They gave them to fear over faith. And the only people who survived that 40 years uh, were the two who believed God and said, you know what, we're going to live by faith, not by sight. It's an important thing to remember, right? They, some, Ten of the twelve looked at these giants and said, we're so small compared to them. Two of the twelve said, our God is so much bigger than them. Do you compare yourself to your problems or do you compare your problems God. That's really where the rubber meets the road. So Paul, he's building on this point that he made in the previous chapter. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he said, uh, I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified or ashamed. He says, I run the race to win. I don't want to be the one who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk and, and misses out on the, the best of what God has for me. And Israel in the wilderness, in Paul's illustration of how, they're, they're a picture of how um, people can be greatly blessed by God and then become disqualified and miss out on some of the things that he had for them by living by sight rather than by faith. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, he says, Now these things happen as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. These things happen as examples for us. Have you ever thought about the idea that, that some things may happen in your life purely as a way to teach someone else? Right? Sometimes you, you look and go, how did that happen? How did it's such a weird thing? And then you encounter someone who has the same experience and you're like, oh. Now I can talk to them and go, God, this is how God got me to do These things happened as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. It's, it's an important thing to just keep in mind. When you read the Old Testament, we were talking about this this morning amongst the worship team, there's some weird stuff in there, right? There's some difficult things, how God dealt with certain situations, and why did he say to smoke these people, and what, you know, what was God doing there? And it is tricky, it is difficult. The one thing you need to keep in mind when you read the Old Testament is that what Paul said, all this stuff happened as an example for us. God used physical realities, real scenarios, to teach us spiritual concepts. Right? That God provides in the wilderness, even, even when you don't see how he's working, he's working. 
verse 7, he says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And so Paul, he's quoting directly from this story about the golden calf in Exodus 32. If you know this story, you know Moses, he had been uh, up on Mount Sinai, communing with the Lord, and uh, he's up there for 40 days, and uh, God's, you know, giving him instructions about how to build the tabernacle, and here are my commandments, um, and while he's up there, the people, they grow impatient, and they're like, well, our leader's gone, uh, they go to his brother Aaron, and they're like, hey, you need to make us a new God to follow. And so Aaron says, okay, well, bring me all your gold. And he melts it down and fills this golden calf. And it's, uh, <laughs> when Moses comes down the mountain, he is not very thrilled. And Aaron's excuse is like one of the dumbest moments in all of the Bible. Uh, where he, you know, Mo- Moses says, Aaron, you were in charge. What the heck? And Aaron's like, uh, they threw all their gold in the fire, and out came a calf. I don't know. And, and Moses is like, yeah, that's some kind of bull, right? Uh, so, you know, it took them 40 days to, to basically turn their backs on God and say, give us something else to follow, give us an idol. Verse 8, he says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. So Paul's giving you this like jet tour of the wilderness experience. Uh, he's talking, you know, in the church in Corinth, sexual immorality was a big problem. Um, and so he's referring to this set of events where there was this, uh, this guy named Balaam uh, and this, another guy, Balak. Balak saw the Israelites coming into his territory and he's like, I want you to pronounce a curse on these people so they stay out of my territory. And Balaam, uh, he tries to curse the people of Israel, and every time he does, he ends up speaking a blessing over them because God's like, now you're not going to curse what I've blessed. So Balaam finally comes back to Balak. Balak's upset with him. Balaam says, you know, I can't bless what God, or I can't curse what God has blessed. However, I do have an idea. You can get them to curse themselves. Send in your young ladies into their camp. Because Balak, the people in his territory, they the pagan worship they were used to involved sexual uh, stuff, scenarios. Right? And he sends the women into the camp uh, to seduce the men of Israel. And uh, the Moabite women basically, you know, are successful. You can read about that in Numbers 25. And they lead these people away from God, right? They're, they're willing to worship whatever pagan god to finish what we just started, you know? And they bring problems on themselves. Such bad problems that he says uh, 23,000 died, fell in one day. Now, if you read about it in Numbers 25, you're going to see it says 24,000 ended up dying altogether. Apparently, 23,000 of them died in one day. Verse 9, he says, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpent. Nor let us try the Lord. He 
he, he, this, this phrase, it means to, to call into doubt God's character. That God's not who he says he is. He doesn't act the way you say he does. And so he's referring again to a, another story where the people are complaining about uh, about God and Moses. And they're like, you know, we're sick of this food. Uh, did you bring us out here to die even though we're, we have full bellies and we're fine? They basically didn't trust God and His plan. They didn't trust Moses. This is in Numbers, like 20 and 21. And God says, Oh, you don't think I'm looking out for you? Bam, poisonous serpent. Try that on. Because I've been keeping that stuff away from you. I've been keeping you safe. But here you go. Have it your way. Uh, and so, if you read this, this story, you know, people are getting bit by snakes and they're dying. And God tells Moses, here's, here's all they have to do to be saved from death by the serpent. I want you to make a bronze serpent and put it up on this crosshatch, put it up on this pole. And you just tell them all they have to do is look at that and believe that that will save them and they'll be delivered. And most of the people do it. But some of them are like, that's stupid. Right, but now remember, there's two million people, so they, they would have had to like travel, you know, they, they weren't all huddled in one spot. They would have had to go out of their way to go and look at this serpent on a pole, and they're, they're like, ah, that's dumb. It can't be that easy. And they died. Anyone who would look at that and would live but some, some still refuse and die. Jesus, it's a weird story, right? It's a weird set of events. And Jesus explains it for us in John chapter 3. He says this, verse 14. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And people still say, that's too easy. That's dumb. It's got, there's got to be more to it. It's got to be harder. Paul says basically, look, don't crave evil. Don't be an idolater. Don't doubt God's character. Don't start thinking you need to figure it all out and, and have your own plan and rather than trusting in His. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, says, Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, one of the things you need to keep in mind when you read in the Old Testament and when you read most of Paul's letters, because remember, Paul was a Jewish man who understood all of the Old Testament. Uh, Paul very often does this. In the Old Testament, it's almost always the case. When there's a list of things, the last thing is the most important. And he says, don't do all these things. And then he gets to this one. Nor grumble, as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. They complained about the food, the free food from heaven. They uh, complained about the giants in the promised land. You know, the land flowing with milk and honey that God gave to them. They complained about Moses and Aaron, uh, the men who led them out of slavery. You ever notice the person that is a grumbler or a 
that it's like a virus, like as they complain, other people get in the bad mood too. I'm sometimes that guy. I know that about myself. I can be negative, and I have to watch that about myself. Because it's, it is like a virus. It spreads and infects people around you. you bring everyone around you down. It, there are some people that can just suck the fun and joy out of any situation. Right? They can inherit a million dollars, and they would complain that they have to pay taxes. The antidote to that of this grumbling, complaining, negative spirit is gratitude. Reprogram your mind. That revival that we were talking about, right? That, um, that change in my heart. You have a part to play in it. God can do it through you. But you have control of your mind. Philippians 4, Paul talks about controlling our thoughts. And he says this, verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Right? Focus your mind on the things that God has done, the things that are good, the things that I are worthy of praise, that I am thankful for. Right, I'm going a little long. So here, here's the deal. Remember our context. There's this, a rift in the church. One side is complaining about the other. Right? My rights versus your convictions. My liberty versus, you know, you don't un- you're not reading your Bible enough or whatever. And it seems like a small issue. But, but that small issue reflects their heart. Right? They had a self-focused, selfish spirit. That's the kind of thing that led to Israel's problem. First Corinthians 10, verse 11, he says, Now these things happened. See, he's repeating himself. These things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Look, time is short. Things matter. We wrote this down for a reason. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Basically, Paul says, look, you are not as strong and mature as you might think you are. If the nation of Israel had so many benefits and did so poorly, do you really think you're immune to doing stupid things? I know I'm not. I am an expert in doing stupid things. Proverbs 16, verse 18, says this. The pride, because that's what we're ultimately talking about, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, a big head, before a fall. Confidence is great when it's placed properly. The Bible tells me that Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Right? I'm just going to get myself into trouble. But through him, I can do all things. Now, in the rest of the chapter, uh, Paul is going to talk about how to deal with temptation. Right? And a little sneak peek, the first thing he says is basically, take the escape that God provides. Right? Take the out. Don't, don't always try to test your maturity. Oh, I can handle it. Maybe you can't. Maybe you should just take the out. 
In the meantime, here's here's what we're going to leave you with. I want you to take a take a look at your own life. Are you grumbling or are you thankful? If we had to sum up your attitude in a word, which one would it be? Are you learning from your past or do you keep repeating the same mistakes? Have you been set free? How are you using your liberty? And most importantly, are you trusting in yourself or in the Lord? In the Lord? I'm going to pray for you guys if you could just bow your heads for a minute. Because Jesus was lifted up on a cross that whoever would look to Him in faith would receive everlasting life, the Bible says. And if you want to, to turn to Jesus and, and follow Him, or maybe maybe you've done that, but you've strayed from Him, and you know it's time to come back to Him, now is the time to do it. You could pray something like this. You don't have to say this out loud. You could Pray it in your mind and your heart. It's not the words. It's, it's the thought behind it, but it's this. You pray something like, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. I believe you paid for my sin on the cross. Because of that, I can spend eternity with you. Thank you for saving me. Help me to follow you today. prayed that in faith and you are a child of God set free a new creation and what are you going to do with your liberty Lord we thank you that you love us so much that you made a way for us to be with you that you want to be with us every day and walk with us and we just pray that you come and come quickly and pray these things in Jesus Ready? Great.